You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight, we have something very special. Now, I'm just going to take a little brief detour here for a moment because, you know, I want to make sure that everybody knows that we read all your comments and we don't normally get a chance to use them on the show because uh, because of production delays and time between production and 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 uh, release of an episode and whatnot. So but but we we read them all. We try to interact with them all. And um, we recently in, in our timeline. Uh, put out the last episode of Ultra Q, and we got some comments on it. and And I wanted to I wanted to read one comment in particular from Mister Iguana, mm-hmm. long time listener, and and the reason I'm doing this is so that you know you can blame him and not me. Um, so here is the uh, <laughs> here is yeah, the comment right, exactly. What to tackle next? I think it's time to cover a particular movie. I'm thinking of the greatest. Japanese-American sci-fi non-Godzilla co-production of all time. Perhaps I'm overselling it a little, as there appear to be only two movies in this category, and the runner-up is an Alan Smithy joint. What's that? You don't know what movie I'm talking about? You need more clues? How about it's late 1960s? It stars a Bond girl, one of the better Bond girls. It has the best theme song of any sci-fi movie and i'm including the blob in that so uh, i want to thank thank you mr iguana for that comment and all in your comments and 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 thoughtful mm-hmm. stuff on ultra q actually uh throughout that uh and and because of this tonight we are doing 1968's the green slime woohoo woohoo yeah all right well let's start with a movie synopsis because. You probably haven't seen this. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a couple of years. Yeah. And Not once again, watched uh, it spoilers. Time. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Here we go. Buckle in. Hmm. A member of the crew aboard the UNSC Gamma 3 space station utters those inevitably fateful words. Nothing exciting ever happens around here. And faster than you can say, sir, I've got something on the screen. The asteroid Flora, six million tons of rock, is hurtling towards a certain collision with the Earth. With only ten hours to go before it collides with Earth, former Space Commander Jack Rankin is called in for one last suicide mission. Go to Flora, blow it up, and save the day. His first stop on the way is Space Station Gamma 3, where he is put in full operational command for the duration of this mission. They've outfitted a ship, bombs, and a crew to accompany Rankin on the mission. There is, of course, a moment's drama. The current commander of Gamma 3, Vince Elliott, is an estranged friend of Rankin's, formerly an unbeatable space team. They've fallen out over a woman, Dr. Lisa Benson. She was formerly Rankin's main squeeze, and now she's engaged to Elliott and also the head doctor aboard Gamma 3. There's more to their animosity than just that, though. Gamma 3 space consultant Hans Halverson also worms his way onto the mission, which leaves immediately for Flora. On Flora, the bombs are planted successfully, but strange pools of liquid contain a seething green slime that fouls the surface vehicles, causing the teams to run back to the spacecraft on foot. Halverson realizes that the slime is alive and collects a specimen for return, but Rankin throws it away, shattering the specimen's container. Unbeknownst to anyone, a small bit of the green slime has attached itself to one of the spacesuits. It looks like a job well done, but then Earth radios them, alerting Rankin that Flora is accelerating. They will have to detonate the bombs early, and everyone knows that doesn't leave enough time for Rankin's team to escape. Nonetheless, Rankin accelerates the spacecraft to ludicrous speed, and they escape by the hair of their teeth. Back on Gamma 3, Rankin and Elliot begin butting heads. The mission is over, so Elliot should be back in charge, but Rankin is hanging on for a while and giving orders like he's still in command. 
when the spacesuits are placed in decontamination, the energy causes the slime to grow. At the obligatory celebratory party being held for successfully saving the Earth, the crux of the problem between Rankin and Elliot is revealed. Elliot made a poor command decision. He made the decision to save a member of his team, resulting in the deaths of ten others. Rankin is the one who wrote up the report, which nearly destroyed Elliot. In decontamination, a creature breaks out, killing the technician via electrocution. Halverson finds a sample of green slime for study. Later, in a service corridor, another man is killed, and eventually they track the creature to the power room. Rankin orders it killed, but at Halverson and Lisa's insistence, Elliot takes command and orders it captured. That goes about as well as you'd expect, and more men are killed. Rankin moves to kill it with a laser, but that doesn't actually work either. Nonetheless, he declares himself in command from now on while they try to hunt down and kill the creature. Halverson makes a terrifying discovery. Give the creature's blood any form of energy, and it grows new creatures at an alarming rate. Rankin hasn't hurt it by shooting it with a laser. He's given it more energy to spawn. The creature attacks the medical section, and after a pitched battle that involves some lasers, they trap the creature in an isolation ward, but with alien blood all over the infirmary, they secure the whole area. Watching from the monitors, they see more of the creature's form. So far, the creatures are contained in Section C, so Rankin hatches a plan. Shut down the power in the section, then use flashlights to draw the creatures into a storage area where they can be captured. That works, more or less. But... They forgot the ones trapped in the infirmary, which have now broken out. They eventually managed to trap them behind a pressure door, and I think the plan was to space them, but Halverson insists on going back in to get his notes, and he manages to get trapped on the wrong side of the door. Elliot and Lisa fight back against Rankin's unreasonable refusal to rescue him, and in an act of open defiance, they open the door. Halverson is, of course, dead, the stupid idiots, and now the creatures are out. New plan, evacuate and destroy the station. The creatures have moved outside and are absorbing solar radiation and multiplying. The evacuation hits a snag as the space doors are jammed. Elliot defies orders again and goes out with a team to clear them off. He succeeds with minimal casualties and the station personnel are evacuated. Rankin turns control over to Earth to destroy the station, but there's too little power. It'll have to be done manually. Rankin, of course, is the man for that job. Elliot learns what his old friend is doing and goes to help, saving Rankin, but dying in the process. Rankin escapes with Elliot's corpse, and the station is plunged into Earth's atmosphere, spreading the green slime across the entire planet. The end. Yeah, the green slime. Yeah, that's I open it good. to you. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, uh, I remember when I was a little kid, well before I moved to Arizona. A wee I had lad. A wee lad, yeah. Uh, I was probably, I don't know, I don't know, between uh, seven and 10. We'll go with that. I caught part of this program on some late night TV program. And I think I only saw the, the, the ending, well, not the ending, but kind of the, the middle scene with the, uh, the green slime initially showing itself and getting shot and lasered and stuff and dripping blood. And um, yeah, I, I think that scared the hell out of me. This is late night TV for a seven to ten year old about eight PM. <laughs> oh, this had to been a lot later than that. Probably eleven or twelve. Who knows what? Before they stopped broadcasting TV at South Dakota, though, right? North oh, Dakota. Late. North Dakota. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I know how you guys are about North and South Dakota. That's them spike words. <laughs> huh? My apologies. <laughs> well, you know, they're both big states, so it's mm. How do you miss that? And they have that armed armed border between them. Yeah, they do. Yeah, it's much like Hadrian's Wall, though, but it's made of hay and corn. Yes, um, Hadrian's Wall. Yes, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I I remember seeing the the uh, green slime monsters being shot. You know, you know, kind of think of it. It had to have been towards the end because I remember guys in astronaut or spacesuits. And uh, I, I'm gonna. Yeah, boy, I think at that that point in my life, I thought. Well, the spacesuits are cool, but that monster is really scary. I'm going to go with the the assumption here that I have never seen this before. Oh, really? Um, I, you know, from some of the pictures of like the space station, I'm kind of like, yeah, I, I may have seen this, but I think w we should point out here that that MGM 
uh, in the 60s, there was this uh, trend, which I imagine you've seen, we'll talk about this more, about Italian um, spaghetti westerns and spaghetti soap op- uh, space operas. And yeah. there were a series of, of three of these that MGM co-produced with, with Italian film directors. And basically they wanted more, but for whatever reason, they went to Japan to have it done. So MGM supplied the script and the money and a Japanese studio, uh, Toei, isn't it? Yes. Um, is, did all the shooting. They, they brought in American actors, but you know, this was done with a Japanese crew and director and all shot entirely in Japan. And um, I'm sure I remember the Italian ones. Right. That, and that's, they, they're very similar space station design and things like that. So I'm, I'm pretty sure what I do remember were the Italian films. And so this one was a complete no, mystery is not the word, but you know, it was a new experience for me watching this film. I, I had some expectations. Uh, Mr. Iguana's yeah. write up made me think that this is probably going to be really terrible. I did a little looking online. It's got uh, some terrible reviews uh, mm-hmm. It was used for the original pilot of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yes. Uh, I think when it was a local TV show. And, um, you know, all of that bespeaks of this film's going to be awful. I really liked it. <laughs> I, you, I watched this wanted... film and I was taken back to when I was a kid about roughly the same age you were watching <laughs> these kinds of films on Saturday morning on the world beyond theater. And I'm like, that was a perfectly serviceable B monster movie compared to so many other B monster movies of that era. This is, does not rise above, nor does it fall below the others. It's right. Just, it's just a perfectly serviceable diversion for 90 minutes. And I was like, all right, this is, yeah. (laughs) I think if I would have watched the show earlier in the day and wouldn't have been tired, I probably would have had a, a better opinion of it uh, <laughs> because at the time I was watching the prisoner in night stalker. So uh-huh. this shouldn't have been really scary. And, you know, let's not forget space 1999 with a monster mm-hmm. that looked quite a bit like this, but was oh yeah far scarier. And uh, yeah, bringers of and wonder, I survived right? That one. Pardon me. Yeah. Bringers of Wonder, probably. Big, um, big glowing one eye, kind of sh- tentacly seaweedy sort of thing. I think. Yeah, it's the one with the uh, not the was it the Ultra Probe? Yeah, yeah, uh, not the Ultra Probe, but it's the uh, the the spaceship comes to the moon base Alpha and pretends to be from Earth, and it's really aliens. Yeah, it's Bringers of Wonder. Yeah, they, they go to the uh, the the space graveyard because they're they're doing. Um, um, oh, 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 no, no. Oh, that's, uh, sorry. That's uh, Dragon's Devil's Domain. Domain. Dragon's Domain. There we Dragon's go. Dragon's Domain. Domain. That's it. Yeah, that okay. one. Okay. I, I would have put these more in the Bringers of Wonder camp. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Take a look at, Google that. Take a look at Bringers of Wonder. I think you'll see what I mean. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely in the rubber suit uh, category. I, you know, I mean, I don't think we're going to get a, a whole lot of in-depth analysis of the deeper meaning of this this film but deeper meaning hmm yeah, yeah oh yeah no. i see what you mean yeah they look like sigmund and the sea monsters that's what the yes. Bringers of wonder yes. monsters look like no no uh, yeah the dragon's domain yeah no yeah that's just the big eye with the tentacles yeah the, big the howling noise globe, and the tentacles yeah. that sucks you in and then spits out bones yeah there you go yeah yeah that that's, was, ex- that was that's exactly what little kids want to watch at night but so, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Overall, overall, um, I was impressed with the model making, and the sets weren't that bad. I mean, they were definitely a product of shooting in Italy, where you had apparently very hungry, talented designers who were willing to work for very little lira. And the same with their production, yeah. the, the actual construction team. Right. Well, the Italian movies, the ones that are actually oh, shot Italian, in Italy. Yeah. Right. And then this movie, which was shot in Japan, because uh, apparently uh, the the producer had some background with Toy Studio doing some other show, and it sounds yes, like he, he got some sort of a deal. Terror beneath the sea. 
There you go. I've never seen that. Don't know what it is. I've never seen it. Sounds vaguely $10. Sunny Chiba. Sunny Chiba, really? Also on its way. Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) that one might not be that bad. And I might have to redefine the word bad here. I'm not sure. (laughs) But um, it looks sort of like a voyage to the bottom of the sea kind of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these sets I could say would look vaguely aquatic. Could be a submarine, yeah. Could be, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so you know, in that respect, yeah, um, impressive. Uh, I I think in the character of Jack Rankin or Commander Rankin, as he likes to be called, uh, <laughs> we possibly have the uh, progenitor of Zap Brannigan from Futurama. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> Turn up the uh, the campiness, and, and you got that guy. Yeah, um, yeah. Unbelievable I ego. Again, which must be Kirk, but uh, yeah, yeah. He's an amalgam um, of all those characters. Yeah, and the actual commander, the uh, uh, commander Vince Elliott, Elliot, uh, who has the shortest hair. <laughs> yeah. uh, as I put my notes, nice guy, but his hair is too short. <laughs> How is he ever going to get a space helmet to stick on there? Yeah, no. I, well, I, I, yeah, <laughs> Velcro. You know, Apollo era spinoff. Well, all right. Let's let's talk about these two guys. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll actually, I'll actually, I'll actually go here. Um, we are given, we are presented a a ridiculous and and we should mention this film is ninety minutes long. Mm-hmm. It was it was made it was made for the American market. Okay, the script was provided by MGM. It was made to be distributed in america and it's 90 minutes long the japanese took the film for their domestic market and cut 13 minutes out of it yep sounds about it's right only 77 only 77 minutes long and eliminated all the stuff apparently with um uh luciana paluzzi which honestly is kind of a waste <sighs> she's nice to look at she, yeah uh, for those who don't know luciana paluzzi she is uh fiona Volpe in Thunderball, the the <laughs> the Spectre assassin that mm-hmm. uh, Bond dances to death. Uh, spoilers and uh, <laughs> for a, a Bond film that's even older than this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the the part that was cut is this. Let's call it ridiculous because it's ridiculous. So apparently, Doctor Benson, Lisa, has formerly in love with Jack. Rankin. Mm-hmm. They were a thing. Commander Rankin to you. Commander Rankin to you. Well, maybe even to her. Like, <laughs> probably. I think, I think he I think he probably like runs things by the book. Um <laughs> but his book. And they were he and Elliot were apparently like the unbeatable space team, along with General What's his name? And um It's probably more like Batman or Robin, but keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and then something went wrong. Uh Elliot made a command decision where he decided to try to rescue a man that Rankin felt should have been left behind. And which that is, that's actually an interesting, that's an interesting dynamic because that is not, that is not what we get from space commanders. Now Kirk would never do that. Even John Koenig wouldn't do that. Right. Right. Leaving a man behind is only done in the absolute most important of melodrama plot twists you know to to show the the agony of command to the commander but in this rankin who is supposed to be our hero is like no you should have left the guy behind which (laughs) sounds pretty harsh except he did get 10 other guys killed in the rescue attempt yeah exactly so maybe he is too nice to be a commander you know it's like uh huh (laughs) see so rankin is a jerk but he may have been a right jerk, and <laughs> and Elliot, who is more humane, failed. And and we see this theme again. Anyway, after that event, Rankin has to turn in a report. Elliot gets I don't know busted down to commander of a space station. Seems yes. Seems like he didn't didn't permanently damage his career too badly there. Yeah, he he failed well. <laughs> he failed well, and um, then Doctor Benson apparently dumped Rankin and took up with Elliot, but, and they're going to get married, which is, you know, okay, fine. These Mm -hmm. things do sometimes happen. But when Rankin comes back on the station and he's like dancing with her, you know, he's like, you know, you're going to, 
he doesn't say these words, but he's basically saying, you're going to fall back in love with me because you still love me. And well, actually, like, he does what say, you still love me. You say, yeah, what an ego yeah. you've got. He's like, you don't love him. You pity him. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, that might wow. be accurate, but boy, delivery, man. Yeah, that is, that is. And you know what the sad part of this whole thing is? Mm-hmm. You know darn good and well he gets her in the end. Yep. Yep, even you know before it. the uh, slime starts oozing, we know what happens. We, we're knowing that in the end of this film, they're going to go back to Earth, and she's going to go, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. I always loved you along the way. And it's it, it's nauseating, because this guy is a jerk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> from, oh, from yeah. one end to the other, is he a jerk? Is that <laughs> Brannigan? Yep. And I would make the case, this is all his fault. Mm-hmm. What yes. was the point of him taking that specimen from Halverson and <laughs> flinging it over some? Because that's what how he deals with everything he doesn't like. He destroys it and throws it away, and and and, and basically, which know, is, if I follow it right, the act that gets the slime on one of the spacesuits, right? Yes. Which makes no sense whatsoever because those guys were ripping slime off their vehicles with their hands. (laughs) I know. Well, that was the outside of the slime. You know, the 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 slime creatures crawling over their their uh, ground vehicles. They hadn't actually like cut them. So when when see, I kind of felt like they were ripping them apart as they were tearing them off. But yeah, maybe. All right, I, I can. Yeah, so so when the glass that. broke, it cut the the green slime monster, or the the podule, or whatever you want to call it at that point. Yeah, and the pseudopod, and um, it then splashed on the poor astronaut's leg and and made it through decontamination process and uh, thrived. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I we are also told that this is the first time they've ever found life in space. Yes. I'm having a hard time believing that Halverson couldn't have made a case that said, Commander, Space Commander, we really, really need to take the actual first life we've ever found in space. <laughs> At least a sample back. Well, we yeah, really do. We really have to. <laughs> Nobody's ever been able to stand up to Commander Rankin before. Rankin. <laughs> so, of course, it's, you know, it's his, his way or the space way. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, if I were, this is just me. Maybe I'm risk averse. I don't know. <laughs> I fly my spacecraft out to an asteroid, and uh-huh. I'm I'm driving around it. Yep. As you do. <laughs> it's like of course. Looking for a well. place to to drill a hole and put a bomb. As yeah. you do. I would avoid assiduously puddles of stuff that look like oh, water. Yeah. Yeah, just don't go cruising through big old ponds of slime on alien worlds. You know, these these space vehicles are designed to go through all-terrain vehicles and ponds and stuff. It's like, does nobody think that's nobody think that's weird? Eh, funny. Ponds of water on this asteroid. Never thought I'd see that. Nothing. Nope. Just there you go. Park in the park in the pond over there. We'll yeah. stand on the dry ground next to it. It's like, uh, no, park on the dry ground, stand on the dry ground. <laughs> Avoid the water. <laughs> this, this is a, a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Another, another bad idea that happens repeatedly in the course of this film, and we shouldn't be surprised. If you look at the artwork for this film on the cover of the DVD or some oh, of the yeah. posters, it shows Luciana uh, Paluzzi uh, uh, in a, a, a Barbarella style, I think, spacesuit, basically, with a big clear globe helmet and yep. the most impressive key neck cutout space suit you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Keyhole, keyhole dress right through to her cleavage while she's in space. And <laughs> not not clear, not clear plastic space, so they just have the, the keyhole. This is open, open to space, but that's just a drawing. Obviously, that's just to get you to watch the film. They don't care about the fact that Rankin has his suit torn open in space. They are opening the space doors in several places with their helmets open. <laughs> and it's like, they're 
apparently air doesn't work the way we think it does in vacuum because in this film those why they bother with the spacesuits at all (laughs) yeah (laughs) yep well you know some things you just have to suspend your disbelief and uh Mm. yeah another one that you have to suspend your disbelief of is that one space station gamma three has an entire medical staff populated entirely by hot women well and yeah. when it comes time to having your celebratory party, all the men's are in their work uniforms, their, their overalls, or whatever you want to call them. And uh, all the women have brought up special party dresses. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Like, I, I, at first, I looked at that scene and I thought, is this the celebration down on Earth? No, no, this is, this is on the space station. My next thought was, did they bring up prostitutes for the party? Oh, geez. I didn't go there, but <laughs> I did. I'm like, where did all these women come from? And why are they all <laughs> dressed up for a party when all the guys are in their dungarees? I, I just, <laughs> it, it was bizarre. Yeah, it, it, it looked like a, a party at NORAD. <laughs> yeah. Everyone in their, their dress overalls and uh, all these women that just kind of showed up. Hmm. Yeah. Where'd they come from? Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay. It's like, there we go. I believe, if my research is correct, that at the scene when they have to uh, speed up the spacecraft and they're taking 10 Gs, that they're dead. Uh, I, believe, I believe anything above 9 Gs is lethal to humans. Um, If you are... Per Wikipedia. You can probably get away with short bursts of high Gs, but not you, for they, the, they not said for you the can get away with short bursts of nine G's. Yeah, jet pilots take up to nine G's for a few seconds, but yeah. even sustained nine would kill you. But oh, sustained like, definitely. Over. Yeah, but this is I would call this sustained ten oh, or yeah, more. Yeah. they would be. Didn't he crank the speed up even after they said we're at ten G's already? And then he, of course, and he was he still able to to move around slightly. Well, yeah, and that would have space been Space Commander Rankin. <laughs> that's right. If if uh, he would he would have been about a ton of weight at that point. Yeah. So no, his his internal structure would start to to break, and he wouldn't be able to breathe. None of them would. Well, they had spacesuits on, so Ooh, um, there you that's go. That's why they could breathe. <laughs> They're anti G spacesuits. Yeah. Um, exactly. Exactly. They do have suits that help with the G forces, don't they? Yes, they I did. never they understood how that worked. Oh, uh, it's uh, a series of air bladders that are—they're basically pants and a vest, and uh, mostly the pants, where they, they will actually force the blood out of your legs into your torso automatically, automatically. And there's because it's, it's set up to a pressure system on the aircraft, and um, there's also breathing techniques you do to uh, like. <laughs> Yeah, it's a like that when you're giving birth. <laughs> yeah, a bit like that. Lamaze breathing, yeah. Kind of, kind of. But it's to use extra muscles to to uh, uh move your diaphragm up and down so you don't pass mm. out as quickly. As quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's a big reason why uh, jet pilots you you know, they work out a lot just so they can have the endurance to do that cuz you you pull a high speed turn and you hit seven, eight or nine G's for a moment, it'll, it'll hit you. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll gray out. And that's the end of that. Unless, unless you're Tom Cruise. Uh, I don't even want to go there. I haven't seen that movie yet. And it would probably just make me cry. <laughs> but that's just because he's had all that, uh, uh, engram modifications. Uh, I was going to say plastic surgery, but Yeah. <laughs> The Bionic Man, actually. Yeah, yeah. Also, in the Rankin is at fault. He lasers the creature. Now, admittedly, admittedly, th- this that was a that that scene was a cluster from the beginning. It's like, all right, <laughs> there's a space alien. It's just killed two or three men on my ship. Um, kill it. All right, mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna go with that. I, I'm actually gonna go with that. This is a dangerous creature, and it's loose. And, and, you know, I think 
I think having a corpse for Dr. Halverson to study is more important than me having a lot more dead men. So, so this is the evaluate your, your losses kind of situation. And Elliot at that point puts his foot down. This is my station. We're going to capture it. <laughs> yeah. Which is a dumb idea. I mean, I, I understand the logic, behind well, but I'm amazed that he, he ordered the uh, gas guns and net guns to be used. It's like, wait a minute. Why do you have gas and net guns <laughs> on the space station? Are these for these rowdy dance parties you guys have? Yes, they must be for the dance Jeez. parties because they've never found any space life. Exactly. So, um, Is mutiny like a weekly the, thing? Or maybe when the when the lions and the cheetahs get loose from section D. Um, oh, <laughs> good point. Yeah, of course. The space, space zoo is uh, whoops, woo. And <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah. Oh, if only that Actually, were the case, we could probably have scenes of the slime monsters fighting gorillas. Oh, and I can see the guy in the gorilla costume. It would look just like, um, uh, oh, darn, Goro. Uh, Goro, yeah, Goro. <laughs> not Goro, but Goro. Yeah. Hmm. Um, exactly, Goro, not Goro. Goro. Uh, mm-hmm. or, or King Kong from the Godzilla vs. King Kong film. But, um, yeah. <laughs> with with a neck frill, just to differentiate be- him between the, the one and the other movie. Because he's a space gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that were the case, he'd have to have a, a bubble helmet and a, 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 a skull for a face. <laughs> uh, uh, I love these films. <laughs> I know. Because any, anything that we can make up probably has been done by somebody somewhere <laughs> yeah or it was thought of and uh just because they didn't get funding for it they couldn't they do didn't... it yeah. yeah exactly it was, it was uh yeah <laughs> so anyway that that goes wrong uh kills a bunch yes. more people <laughs> uh-huh so it's it's a repeat of that whole elliot thing from before played <laughs> yeah large and then you know, Rankin is like, no, no, now we're going to kill it. And of course that turns out to not be the right course. So I'm actually asking the question, what are they trying to tell us here? Because neither one of them is right, right? There, there is no right here. You, you, Elliot, you did it wrong. Rankin's doing it right. No, Rankin's doing it wrong too. Elliot did it wrong. Rankin did it wrong. Everybody did it wrong. Am am I supposed to empathize with anybody on this station except the green slime? Uh, at this point, they're just they're doing this to show that it's an insurmountable foe. You know, they, they, it is a, a monster that, oh, my God, they can't kill it with, you know, at this point in a modern movie, if they would have actually gotten to this part of a train wreck, there was a chance that the scientists could step in and say, wait, let me run some tests on this blood and see if I can slow it down. And then they come out with like the cold gas guns. Or a flamethrower, which, of course, you have to have on a space station. And they yeah, could have taken absolutely. care of it that way. So, yeah. yeah. I, I, I was actually surprised at how little Halverson had to do with screwing things up. I mean, yes, he, he kind of, with the whole space specimen thing. I have uh, to get my papers. Screw that part papers, was Halverson. him screwing himself up. Yes, that was exactly. Himself up. That was not, I, you know. I need to conduct some experiments and pump some more energy into this blood. And oops, I've created the problem, which is what you would normally expect from, from the, the crazy right, but uh, it, non-military it already, scientists. But. Yeah, it was already on its way for being. It, it, no science was needed in the, uh, the growth None. of these monsters. <laughs> no. I guess we should, being completely and totally without any logical order to these notes, <laughs> mention that another thing that Mr. Iguana is absolutely correct on. Um, this film was produced and done entirely in Japan by a Japanese crew, which includes the music. And it does very much sound like Japanese movie music from that era. Uh, it didn't Even quite the have theme? the... No, no. The main theme was done differently. So the film came over and the Americans said, yep, 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 great, but change the music for the opening credits. Yeah. Green and slime. And so they did this. Green slime. Yeah, that is that is an amazing. Oh, yeah. Amazing opening titles for mm-hmm. film. <laughs> That's really catchy. That could be possibly the thing with the highest production quality in the entire motion picture. <laughs> it was... Uh, 
Uh, yeah, if nothing else, if you don't want to watch this film, go on YouTube, find it. The, the theme music to Green Slime is there. You can watch it uh, with some, uh, I think, uh, montage clips from the movie. Which yeah, it, like watch the trailer. I think that would have it too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but this is like a, a music video somebody has done from that for, yeah, it's um, truly impressive. Truly impressive. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I don't know that I have anything else. Let's see. I like the, uh, the, the monitor car and the light car that barely fit in the hallways. And just <laughs> are, 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 I think they're, it's, th- these are, are like, like kill dozer. They're just waiting for, to, uh, to draw blood. By yeah, that accident people. was impressive, wasn't it? <laughs> that accident went on for a long way. As I think they went through at least corridors D and C on that one. Wow. It really did. Yeah, they, they like... barely fit in there. The people walking next to it are like, you know, you don't even have to, to be aware that that could be a crush hazard because it is a crush hazard. Uh, that was pretty impressive. And I, I love how he just calls up monitor car if he wants to see inside of a room. <laughs> I guess it's cheaper than having monitors stationed all over the place. It's more, <clears throat> it's more cool and high tech. Yeah. I uh, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that accident was Im- truly impressive. It was caused by Halverson, of course, uh, trying to sneak through. And it, de- right. one of the guys kind of has to swerve a little bit because Halverson's there. And then uh, for some reason, this golf, slow moving golf cart thing goes on a killing rampage pinballs down that narrow corridor because I guess the driver crushing freaked out and hit and the accelerator. And, yep, yep. Must have definitely slammed the accelerator all the way to ludicrous speed. Mm-hmm. It was 10G. He couldn't move. It was, yeah. It Going was, at least seven miles an hour. Ah, you think that much? <laughs> Maybe. Some very creative editing in trying to make that look like a dangerous accident, I have yeah. to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like we're going to use all the shots. Really? Oh, um, yeah, all the shots. What did you think of the model work? Um, it was like um, uh, I said, the design was. I put my notes Anderson esque, but really that's kind of insulting Jerry Anderson and all those guys because the they the models were interesting but lacking the detail that would make them really interesting. They were and, competent um, but not. They didn't excel in their yeah. their place as spaceships or the space station. Building the space cities, station, yeah. I, I like the multicolors of the space station because why not? You know, it's, it yeah. looks like a, a, a Chris Foss painting, you know, all multicolors, but they're all kind of muted. Mm. Uh, but still, they're there, like bright red antennas and, and orange and yellow sections of the station. Um, yeah, it, it, it looks like a B Italian movie from the time that's that's why for years i thought this was an italian movie but it mm-hmm. wasn't well it's, it just it's had the on... same styles yeah they had the same I design the other, ethics i think the other films um the italian films that this was kind of based on had station gamma five or something like that uh gamma five same name gamma it's different one. yeah gamma one, gamma basically five, yeah. basically the same style of the spinning wheel space station mm-hmm. yeah um, so I think that you the have artificial were better in the, sure. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was, that was all right. Um, the actual execution of the, the space scenes were, let's just say <laughs> that it made me Japanese. It made me long for the high quality special effects of ultra Q. Um, <laughs> well, ultra Q is, of course was done by the master himself, but years before this. A few years before yeah. this, yeah, but yeah, at least you could never really see the strings holding things up. At least they were able to cover that, but they still had that kind of, you know, are, did they stick a, a piece of firework in the back of the rocket, or is that like an acetylene flame? I'm not quite sure. You know, some sort of I a, thought when the butane torch. Thought when the spacecraft were flying, it was definitely some sort of torch. Yeah, I, I think so because it's like, well, it's not really producing a lot of black smoke. So, which hmm. I did like that a lot better than a lot of the American films of a bit earlier than that, where oh, you know, not only does the, the 
the fame coming out, but the the fire actually curves upwards as it comes out of the back of the ship. And it's like, yeah, oh, it's yeah, they just, turn the yeah. pressure up on them enough so just the the very end of the flame starts to to flicker up a little bit. But the sequence at the end where it's going down, no, that did that did look bad. Yes. No, it's yeah, literally, that literally, they they doused the model in gasoline and filmed it burning as it slid down a wire. <laughs> Maybe they put a fan in front of it a little bit, but but yeah, it <clears throat> that was a model that was dipped in gas and some sparklers. I was it was dipped in green slime, um, which is highly <laughs> flammable. the The thing is, when they when Rankin is uh, setting. I thought he was going to set the self-destruct. I mean, that's so ingrained in science fiction. He was like, oh, the commander sets the self-destruct mode. And it turns out he's not. He's <laughs> he's actually just transferring uh, flight control of the space station down to Earth. And then he finds out that they don't have enough power for flight control. I don't understand that. But let's, let's, let's not try to work that one out. So yep. he has to go back and manually set the thing on its course which right. i don't know why he just didn't do that in the first place okay since he could have gotten off the ship um and so all right well then they're they're just flying the space station somewhere where it's going to be destroyed and that whole sequence is happening i'm going now please tell me that your plan is not to plunge it <laughs> into the earth's atmosphere of course are you you, you're going to send it to the sun or <laughs> or the moon or or something somewhere else, please? Yeah. No? Oh. No, 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 no. You know, for the same, the same idea that, you know, when Flora, the asteroid that, they, that, that caused this whole thing, when they set that series of three bombs that blew the hell out of it and turned it into, <laughs> what, a, a six, 600 million ton instead of a ball of rock uh 600 million ton pile of gravel floating in space that's going to crash into the earth and uh and i'm i might add covered with specks of green slime uh mm-hmm. that's going to crash into the earth so the, you know the space station probably is just going to be icing on the cake because from the way it looks it's going to be about a week and the earth will be gone anyways you know, well, it wouldn't be, be a week. It would still be less than ten hours because that wouldn't have significantly altered the the speed of that. Oh no, no, yeah, yeah. no. So, there'll yeah. be a massive amount of shooting stars. A lot of the rocks will survive reentry, and there'll be enough little cells of this stuff that within ten days, the planet will be completely overrun by green slime because there's plenty of more at, or plenty of energy here. Uh, more energy here in different forms than there would be on a little asteroid sitting out in the cold reaches of space. Yeah. So yeah, they're yeah. doomed no and matter it, what. And you have to ask yourself the question, how is it that flora accelerated? Don't know. Is that the green slime piloting it? Probably, but you know, that was never addressed in the movie after that point. It wasn't. The other thing I thought was quite funny, and it's a throwaway line, but is the the general... Mm-hmm. finds out that the earth is going to be destroyed in 10 hours. He, he authorizes a, a mission. He has his, you know, maybe the president's involved, who knows, but the secretary general, whoever it happens to be, but they get that ship and they fly it up there. And then they blow this asteroid up, which is threatening the earth. None of this. I have any complaints with. All right. Apart from the fact that we know that yeah, blowing know. up an asteroid would, be, but the idea of, you know, Earth is in danger. We mount a rescue attempt, go up and try to save the Earth by doing whatever the science boffins say that you do to destroy the the asteroid or destroy the threat. But when they blow that up, what does he turn? He says something like to his guy, all right, well, you better get a press release out because a lot of people are going to be asking what that fireworks display over the city was. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you didn't actually tell the world that... Would you tell the world that it's going to blow up in 10, 10 hours? I, <laughs> uh, I, don't I know. think out of courtesy at that point, you would. I, yeah, I think it's like, eh. <laughs> it's like, so Earth didn't know the problem was coming. Right. And, and now apparently, you know, we'll prepare a press release for that slime paste that's been all over the city. Um, 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't give Earth much chances on this one. I think this one no, is. Uh, that's that's why there was never a sequel. Yeah. So I guess just the uh, the green the slime the planet. planet. The green yeah. slime completely succeeded with their vanguard attack on Earth. They they're actually though the the sequel the the sequel could be um, an astronaut returning to Earth from a long high speed mission. Uh, comes back to Earth and finds a lands on a different planet. He thinks uh, it's populated by the green slime until he finds, you know, the Statue of Liberty, and then right, exactly, or the Empire State Empire Building State or some other iconic thing. Yeah, that something. Yeah, happen. the the World Trade Towers. Yeah, um, sure, sure. Yeah, that sure has dated that King Kong movie in it. Um, just, just a try. Yeah. I like the idea that that uh, the space station is owned by a company. It's not like a military organization. Is it? But it's a company. Yep. At the very end, uh, or towards the very end, um, it, uh, it's mentioned that the space station, uh, like destroying the space station will hurt the company or something like that. It's like, oh, okay. So this is a, a private firm. Hmm. Interesting. That's odd because I assume that UNSC, United Nations Space Corps or Space Exactly. Command, Exactly. So I don't know why they mentioned company in there. Um, I don't know. Maybe they're outsourcing everything, including the United Nations. Who knows? I think in 1968, I don't think that concept was really (laughs) in vogue. Uh, I think it was just starting to pick up interest. But yeah, the whole military industrial complex was was starting to take shape. Hmm. But um, yeah, I know in in the uh, the rowdy dance party. It looked like um, it, it looked like Elliot. This was the first week for his new arms. The way he was way pouring that drink, it was just very careful and kind of posed. It was kind of weird. I don't know why, but that just kind of threw me. And plus, the uh, have the character walk towards the camera and then tilt down a little bit. And oh yeah, that their, scene their that was weird. completely filling the the screen cut was used at least three times yeah that was odd yeah. and never That's and just... never with dr uh lisa no, benson. yeah lisa benson yeah that yeah. would have been much better than richard jekyll walking into the camera yeah right or some um, other guy um well you know we should throw we should throw out there uh i don't really know well a lot about robert horton apparently you know he he was in stuff he sure looks familiar, but I looked through his IMDb and I couldn't find anything that I, you know, but he, he does have that sort of very 60s sort of craggy lantern jawed. Yes. Guy it could look. have been a Charlton Heston stand in or something like that. And I might have been, I, I might have seen him in Police Woman. The, there's a publicity hmm. picture of him in that. And it's like, oh, yeah, that, yeah, I recognize that guy. But I'm not sure whether he was a recurring character or just in a, in one episode kind of thing. So he might have been, but he was a little down on his luck is my understanding. And which would explain why he was shipped off to Japan to um, star in this film. He later in his career, he was did an episode of murder. She wrote, and that's usually a sign that they needed to keep their uh, union status up. (laughs) Got to keep the health insurance that that's the Angela Lansbury was famous for that. Yep. Yep. Well, fading stars could, call her up and get on the show and get their thing. And <laughs> okay, why not? You did this one. Hey, you know, more power to her. Doug on it. Yeah. If that's, if that's the way your system works, because we don't have healthcare for everybody. It's, it's based on doing stupid shit like working. Um, yeah. 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 Um, instead of being alive and a citizen and yeah, being a right. citizen of a country. Yeah. Yeah. Richard Jekyll. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember, his, I mean, he's been in tons of stuff, but do you remember the one that I would have thought you would, they would leap out to you? Uh, FBI agent in the movie and the short-lived TV series with Joel Gray and uh, Andy Griffith, Salvage, Salvage one. 1, really? Yep. Wow. I'm yep. going to have to go F- find that and watch it again. Good luck. Good yeah. luck. Salvage, oh. yeah, he was the FBI agent in the, that was always giving him a hard time. Um, <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that fit him perfectly. 
And then, of course, Luciana Paluzzi, most famous from her role in mm-hmm. Thunderball. But, yep, that's it. I don't have anything else on this film. Oh, uh, I was very impressed that uh, as soon as something shows up on the scope, everybody abandons their stations and crowds around the TVs to watch it. Very important. That's what that scope is for. And the commander is not like seeing anything. It's like, don't you men have things to do? You know, time to lean, time to clean, something like that. No, he lets (laughs) them all get stand up from their stations, don't monitor whatever they're monitoring, and they can all cluster around the big TV and see what's on the show. Boy. Nothing ever exciting happens on that space station. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Just space weather forecasting. Right. Occasional micrometeorites or something. Who knows? That's That station was way out there, too, wasn't it? When they looked at that shot of it doing the weather back on the Earth, I mean, it had the entire ball of the Earth oh, on yeah, the that TV was, screen. It's out that there. Out, yeah, one of it's the out there. Lagrange points. It has to be. Yeah. Oh, I've got... No, I don't... That's about it. Actually, I think, yeah, I don't think you could see the Earth from the Lagrange point like that, though, could you? I'm not I sure. Think it's further out than that. They're they're pretty far out there. They're pretty darn far out there. Yep. So there we are, the green slime. <laughs> 1968's finest Japanese American Italian spaghetti western space opera in space. Yep. Program. I would suggest that you find it on YouTube and watch it, just to tell your friends that you've seen the green slime. And what, uh, not buy it on Blu-ray like I did? Sure. Yeah, Blu-ray. <laughs> you, can, you can go buy it on Blu-ray too. It's much higher quality, I'm sure. Yes. Actually, it was uh, a pretty decent print. Oh, yeah. Actually, the, the print looked fine. You know, it's very impressive. Considering. Considering, <laughs> considering the content. The source yeah. Yeah, it was watchable. I might watch it again. Yeah. I, I probably someday will. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, you know, uh, listeners, don't ever doubt that we don't consider your suggestions mm-hmm. and uh, and do them. Uh, to be fair, we have a much higher likelihood of managing to hit one in a timely fashion if you're talking about a movie than a TV series, because the TV series scheduling wise is a little bit harder for us to uh, go. Oh, so you you want us to do Farscape. How many years did that run for? Yeah. <clears throat> I think we'll all be dead be- before we're done with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, all right. John, thank you for joining me. You're welcome. It's been fun. <laughs> Listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Fusion Patrol, we hope you'll consider supporting us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol or buymeacoffee.com slash fusion patrol for our monthly patreon subscribers we're currently doing a special series on season two of babylon 5 there's over a decade of previous episodes available at fusionpatrol.com come join the conversation on our website or twitter you can also find some of our other works at soundcloud.com slash fusion patrol our music is fight the future by amber wolf This has been a Lone Locust production.